0: They murmured against him, they muttered against him, they whispered, they gossiped against him, they sought to seize him, they wanted to murder him, they are causing all kinds of factions against him, speaking all manners of evil against him, calling him a deceiver and a liar, a blasphemer, a devil, the devil. Tisk tisk tisk. what is it that Jesus is doing? That has made him the recipient of such hostility from his own siblings, his own family, his own culture, and one would even say his own religion. Isn't he a Jew? What's going on? Well, we're in John chapter 7 now. We've been going through John, and we've been recognizing the valuable information and ministry of our Lord and Master Jesus Christ, and we've been paying attention To the interaction taking place between him and the crowds, of course, the message, the purpose of the ministry, redemption for mankind, eternal life. And as a product of that very eternal life, well, it seems that what is evil is being exposed, isn't it? Oh, and they don't like that. No, they do not. The religious leaders of the day, the Sanhedrin, the body of, what is it now, 71 members divided into three parties... Again, I bring to our remembrance, and we spoke of this in our sessions past, and I do encourage you to go check out our archived uh, archived video section for that. But in this three-party system, the Sanhedrin, we have at the, if you will, top-tier chief priests. The chief priests, who were mostly Sadducees, and you had another party of sorts who were the elders who would be with the chief priest, if you will, politically so, in order to oppose the Pharisees, which were found in the other party, the Pharisees, the lawyers, and the scribes. And at any time, this governing body of authority for the Jewish system and tradition were at odds with each other. They couldn't stand each other, arguing all the time over vain repetitions, things that truly at most times had no value spiritually, but something brought them all together. (laughs) Someone brought them all together in a united plot to murder an innocent man. That's right, Jesus. We're going to be looking at that, continuing our our uh, session here, our sermon session into chapter 7 of the Gospel of John, you and I together. Stefan Maya is my name, souls.com is my website, eastcoastchurchofchrist.com is our church site, and uh, I welcome you, well, welcome, yeah. I welcome you <laughs> to our session here. Okay, so what's been happening? Well, there's a feast taking place, is there not? In chapter 7, an important feast for the Jews, and... Um, We can see how the crowds and uh, Jesus's siblings are governed loyalists, most so subordinates of the Pharisaical ilk, and they want to, of course, have the the, the religious leaders' stamp of approval on Jesus, if anything Jesus is going to say uh, is going to be found credible. And sadly, that's kind of how we operate today as well, in a great many false teachings, and doctrines who say, well, I need first to get the approval of my pastor, my priest, my reverend, the pope, the preacher, mom, dad, co-workers, neighbors, friends, family. It always seems there needs to be an approval from someone other than Jesus. Well, Jesus knew this, and he knew the hearts of these individuals, the greater depth of their thoughts, more so than you and I could ever received though we have been given a wonderful tool and that is you shall know them by their fruits if we pay attention to what they are producing we'll know exactly who it is they are and what it is they need to be exposed of. And so Jesus is finding himself in this location, time with a tradition and a law and the the Jewish system, and there's a feast, and this feast is an important feast. We need to gather together for this important feast. And Jesus was not going to go there, of course, according to their terms, because they wanted to murder him. You see, there was a plot to murder him. So he was going to have control of this always. At all times, God is in control. I assure you, it was not the governing power of the... Jewish system and the Sanhedrin. No, they thought they were in control. They were not in control. It was not the Roman power and oppression and tyranny. No, it was not the Romans. Not at all. They were not in control. Who was in control? God. Then why were the Jews and why were the Romans allowed to do what they have done? Well, you just said it because they were allowed to do what they have done to fulfill, to bring to completion the redemptive plan of salvation for mankind. God had pre-planned this location of salvation, the body, the citizenry we must legally seek, in this in his kingdom to which he is now crowned king. And so in chapter seven, we see these things taking place. And of course, we always has been the repetition here. The theme from the crowds, the religious leaders since chapter five, with this growing hostility, hostility towards Christ. They're grumbling. They're murmuring. They're whispering. They're gossiping. They're creating factions against him. They want to murder him. They want to challenge him. They uh, they falsely accuse him. They bear false witness. They slander him. They demonize him. I mean, every kind of thing you can imagine they're trying to do to him, okay? But he's in control. He is God, and he knows when will be the right time to give up the spirit, to surrender his life and fulfill fulfill the gospel. And that is a beautiful thing, that he loved us so much. He loved us in such a way that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever should believe in him should not have to perish, right? We can have eternal life. It's available. Jesus said we can go to heaven one day. We can trust that. We can believe that. If only the greater bulk of the Jewish people would have believed that. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how I wanted to take you under my wings, you know, and they just wouldn't have it. They were looking at him. They saw him do what he was doing, Speak with such authority. Speak as a man educated, but yet not educated through the system of their religious leadership. You know, how dare he not go to their preacher schools? You know, how does he, how can he be so knowledgeable in what he is saying he's I mean he's from Galilee he's a Nazarene he's the son of Mary and Joseph the son of a carpenter (laughs) what do you mean he's not a Pharisee one of us or a chief priest or an elder or titled with these phylacteries if you will what's going on and so this was happening from his own kind and all around it was just he had his father and that was sufficient and at the end of the day we might find ourselves in the same nest having been betrayed and abandoned by our own siblings parents grandparents family uh, fellow brothers and sisters in the church everyone our own culture our own people everyone but if we have jesus my dear friends we can make it out of this place alive and jesus had his father and here's why they really hated him is because he had his father and he spoke for his father. And he and the father were one. They were equal and they could not stand. They did not want that. They were losing ground. They were losing control and influence of the people because they had manipulated themselves upon them, deceiving them with their, their, the 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 way they spoke, the way they they crafted their uh their deceit and the way they would bind their laws and all these kind of things. And that of course within the factions of the Sanhedrin and their great opposition towards one another, and in the third party which I was speaking about a minute ago, or so, uh, the Pharisaical ilk, they had an ear more so to the ground with the people than they would with than you would find with the chief priest or the elders, the two other party factions that would be in the Sanhedrin. Because they were more concerned with temple things, but the Pharisees, well, they wanted a handle on their synagogues and with the people there in the streets. So they would hear if there was whispering or murmuring. And at this time, they didn't want anybody talking about Jesus, mind you. You know, let's not talk about him. <laughs> we don't want his fame to grow, and we don't people we don't want people to hear the truth he has to speak because, well, we're going to lose money. We don't want to do that. Yeah sadly those kinds still exist today and you'll find them behind pulpits and in eldership so here in chapter 7 this is building this hostility towards jesus and they're seeking to seize him of course because he keeps speaking of the death he has to go through he is god on earth and he will be given he will allow himself to be given to the hands of sin so as to again fulfill the gospel plan and so in 32 is where we're going to pick up and read throughout 39 and look at the information there. and We'll just get into it and see what we can remember. In verse 32, the Pharisees heard the crowd muttering these things. These things... uh, Oh, Where am I here? I'm losing my... I got the scriptures in front of me. I'm losing my eye on it here. Uh, Where am I? Yeah, there we go. 32. The Pharisees heard the crowd muttering these things about him, about Jesus. So the crowd's whispering. They're talking about it. They can't speak out loud because we're not allowed to talk about Jesus. So we're going to do it with a whisper. We're going to mutter. We're going to do all these things about Jesus. And the Pharisees, again, like I mentioned, would have been the ones who would have been found in the streets hearing these things going by, the gossip, the whispering, the murmuring, the complaining, the divisions, uh, all that kind of stuff that would, have, that would have been there and hearing that, keeping an eye open, near open, right? Uh, and so they would have recognized that, and they were recognizing what they were saying, and what they were saying was, when the Christ comes, he will not perform more signs than those which this man has, will he? And they're hearing these kind of things, and the Pharisees heard the crowd muttering these things about him, and the chief priest and the Pharisees sent officers to seize Jesus. So because the people are whispering about Jesus. Jesus needs to be seized. They're just looking for an excuse to get rid of him. They've been doing that for a while now. But here's what's so interesting. We have the chief priest and the Pharisees together and united. They couldn't stand each other. They were in opposition within the Sanhedrin body. I mean, but now they're best friends. Well, of course they are. They're get they're they're, they're getting along to get rid of someone, aren't they? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They can't get along when it comes to passing a vote from both of their worldviews and perspectives and and policies. No, we're going to shut down your policy here. Then the other party says, no, we're shutting down your policy here. No, we're not going to vote on your policy here. No, we're going to... And they're at each other all day in this body here, the Sanhedrin. But all of a sudden, the vote is unanimous. Yeah, we need to seize Jesus. He's a problem. He's taking away from our control. That's not fun. So they're seeking to seize him. They send officers to seize him. And remember, the Sanhedrin, the religious body of leadership, is the governing power. They are government. They don't have the right to capital punishment, but they have the right to all other policies within Judaism and their traditions and the things they are setting forth, which, of course, was a great departure from the law they were born and raised in. A great many times. Uh, But here they have officers. These individuals would have been structured with the task to take care and enforce uh, the citizenry through the control of the body the Sanhedrin. And so together they seem to be unanimous with this vote. We need to get rid of him. We need to seize him. So they send officers. Towards Jesus. And of course Jesus knows this, therefore he says in verse thirty-three, chapter seven, John, for a little while longer I am with you. Then I go to him who sent me. Well, that's a strange thing to say. Well, certainly, if your mind is governed by worldly things and fleshly desires. Of course, that's going to be a, such a strange statement. What is he saying? What does that even mean? If they'd actually been paying attention to what he'd been saying from the beginning, not so as to, uh, not so as for a lack of understanding, because they understood. We see how Jesus has been telling them, My father and I are equal. I mean, that's why they were saying for that reason, therefore, the Jews were seeking all the more to murder him in chapter 5, verse 18. <laughs> okay? So they've been at it for a while, and they're growing in hostility. And in chapter 7 of John, I can't remember for the life of me, and I should have checked this out before going live, but I think Jesus is about 60 days from the crucifixion. 60 or 30. That It's one of those two, and I just I can't remember it. You, you check that out on your own time. Do that. Check it out. I think it's about 60, if I'm not mistaken, but I may be wrong. Okay. So they're seeking to seize him. And of course, seize him was found in chapter 7, verse 30, and also now again in in verse 32 of the same chapter. They're seeking to seize him. And he's saying, for a little while longer I am with you, then I go to him who sent me. He keeps speaking about his coming moment, the fulfillment of the gospel, the uh, the fulfillment of the prophets and all the things that had come to be that was birthed from the mind of God from the very beginning. And uh, they're missing it because their thoughts are on worldly things. Their thoughts are on worldly things, not on heavenly things. Then he says, I am with you. And it's interesting because God, the great who I am, the great I am is with you on this earth for a little while. But then I go back to him who sent me. Well, who has he been saying has sent him? His father, God. And so he says, you will seek me and will not find me, and where I am, you cannot come. Well, wait a minute now. They crucified him for a reason, you know. These are the sons of the kingdom. They were born children of the covenant, Abrahamic lineage. How dare he say the things he is saying? We need to crucify him, don't we? We need to get rid of him, don't we? He's not allowed to say those things. Well, what is he saying? For a little while longer, I'm with you. Don't miss this. Look at verse 32. They're seeking to seize him. And in verse 33, he says, for a little while longer, I'm with you. Who's in control again? Who's in control? It isn't the Jewish government and it isn't the Roman government. It's Jesus. It's God. He's in control. They want to seize him. That ain't going to happen right now. They want to murder him, that ain't going to happen right now. That's going to happen when he allows it. And you know when he stood before Roman powers who were seeking and questioning him, seeking answers from him, he just very bluntly told them, if it wasn't that i if it wasn't that you were given permission to do what you're doing, you wouldn't be doing what you're doing. You have no power over me nothing of this world has power over god he dissent, he allows it to happen because we have free will he has providence he has the power of foresight he's seen all of this happen before you and i see the next hour he's seen the beginning and the end he is the alpha and the omega when you and i pray a prayer this day he's heard that prayer before he even formed adam and eve we have free will Just because he knows everything, and we don't, doesn't mean we don't have free will. That's how powerful God is. And he says, for a little while longer, I'm with you. Well, wait a minute. They're seeking to seize him. People are talking about him. We can't allow that. They're not going to seize him yet. He's not going to allow that. So he's still with them for a bit. And if they just pay attention, what he was saying, man, they would have learned so much. Look at chapter 7 again. Here we are, chapter 7, yeah, verse 6. My time is not yet here. You're not going to murder me yet. You're not going to seize me yet. I've got a ministry to fulfill. But you, your time is always opportune. While you live and breathe on this earth and you have, the, you, have the, you have access to your intellectual capabilities, your independent accountability, while you have access to that, you are accountable to it, you can choose to know who Jesus is and believe in him and have eternal life. For a little while longer, I'm with you. Then I go to him who sent me. Once it's fulfilled, I'm going back up there to my heavenly location as king crowned of my kingdom, the church. You will seek me and will not find me. The sons of the kingdom are going to be thrown out. They won't be set there reclining with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob for eternity. No, no, no. Who will? The Gentiles, the foreigner, the heathen, the pagan, because they will surrender themselves to a poor spirit more so than these religious individuals, these Jews, these believers, the sons of the kingdom. They're not going to see paradise, are they? They're not going to be in heaven with our Lord and Master. You'll look for it, but you won't find it. It'll be too late. How many of them died in their sins? How many of them died in their sins? When Jesus spoke of them and said, you belong to your father, who was a liar and a murderer from the beginning. There were some individuals in there, some Jews, some believers in the crowd saying, well, why can't they just get along? I'm not going to choose any sides. I don't, I'm not... No, that's not my responsibility. See a lot of selfishness when they say that, right? Why am I meant to choose sides? I'm not choosing sides. You just you guys just need to get along. And they side with the Pharisees. That's so sad. For a little while longer I am with you, then I go to him who sent me. You'll seek me and you'll not find me. And where I am you cannot come. You cannot come. You can't go through what I'm about to go through, which is the death on the cross. He's been talking to them. They're just not paying attention to what he's saying. They're thinking worldly ways. They're thinking, they're thinking of fleshly desires, and, 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 and they're thinking of everything that is uh, uh, on this, in this world instead of things that are heavenly, instead of paying attention to the words he is actually speaking. You'll seek me, and you, will, you won't find me. And where I am, you cannot come. So the Jews, and here the Jews in verse 35 is a language speaking within the context and the theme of things taking place, the Pharisees and the chief priests, the Sanhedrin's authority, the government. You know, that still gets to me when I hear my brethren say, Christians have no business in politics or government. Well... (laughs) Something quite different is revealed in the Bible. There was a lot of interaction. And whoever's policy is in power, his religious view is going to be enforced. And it is so sad to see how misled a great many of our brethren are today in our current generation. In America and in Canada. Because they have been lied to with so many slogans from very wicked villains that we have currently controlling this world or in power of this world if you will um, with the idea that we can separate religion from politics or from government or it, that that's a lie it's just it's a lie whoever you put in power is going to bring their religious baggage with them if it's atheism it's atheism if it's Islam it's Islam Buddhism Buddhism Whatever it is they believe, whether, whether they say it or not, may, may, is of no effect. They're going to produce policies in accordance to their worldview. So don't believe this whole separation of state and religion or whatever how they phrase their slogans. It's a lie. When you have men in power, men and women in control and leadership of our country that have Christian values and principles then our country is going to be governed with policies that are relevant to Christian principles and values. But if you put a godless individual in there or foreign, barbaric, and violent religious views in there, that's the kind of policy you're going to have. And what was taking place with the contamination and the corruption of the, gover- the Jewish government at this time, the-, the Sanhedrin, it had been contaminated and the people were suffering for it you know, just like they were under the oppression of the Roman power. What kind of government do you think the Roman power was oppressing the people with? Well, their gods, their religion. What kind of government did you think the Sanhedrin was oppressing their citizenry with? Well, their religious traditions. Friends, I'm saying this with all love and respect. There is no such a thing as a Christian void of... Government or politics or policies—it's it. Even the one who says I I, I have nothing to do with politics—you already are. You've made that this. You think you're not, but you are. <laughs> even when you're not voting, you're voting. It, it. I've been through this many times throughout the decade plus. I. Bit of a bit of a uh, an excursion there, but relevant the context of things taking place here, okay, with governments and policies and politics and all of that. Okay, so the Jews, the government, their politics, their policies, said to one another, where does this man, speaking of Jesus, intend to go that we will not find him? I mean, they want to seize him. They want to murder him. Now, they can't. They don't have the governing authority to murder him but they know who does the romans this is the equivalent today if you're seeking a real time illustration the equivalent of our own brethren christians who take a faithful preacher and bring him to the romans for capital punishment that is not deserved that is not warranted that is indeed corrupted Who were reporting us when we were gathering together on Sundays to worship God? Our own kind were reporting us. And who were they reporting us to? The heathen to put us in jail and fine us. So the Jews then said to one another, where does this man intend to go that we will not find him? Look, he can't just disappear, can he? He is not intending to go to the dispersion among the Greeks and teach the Greeks, is he? (laughs) Remember the Babylonian, uh, the recorded account of the Babylonian uh, exodus, if you will, and what took place there? Well, some Jews did not settle within Jerusalem. They settled within the outskirts, and you would find the Hellenistic Jews, and you would find an element of the Greek. And uh, that was not the location in which the Jewish body of leadership, the government there, was saying was proper. <laughs> so Jesus can't be going there, is he? No, that can't be it. I mean, he's a Jew, and he claims to be this, that, and the other, and he speaks the scriptures, and he teaches the scriptures. He's not going to be found with the Greeks, is he, or the dispersion there, the Babylonian settlement over there, is he? No, that can't be right and teach them that's not what's going to happen right that's that's not that's not permissible is it and here's what's so interesting friends and don't miss this pay 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 close attention all right then stick with me here lost people can say saved things lost people here are saying saved things Because in their own statement, where does this man intend to go that we will not find him? He's not intending to go to the dispersion among the Greeks and teach the Greeks, is he? Guess where the gospel went, friends? (laughs) The gospel went to the Greeks and the Gentiles and all the foreigners and those who are afar off. if they would have only been paying attention to their own words, coming out of their own mouths. Man. And then they further say, you know, in their puzzlement, what is this statement that he said, you will seek me, and will not find me, and where I am you cannot come? What's this all about? Now on the last day, the text says here, verse 37, and the last day... It is my opinion from what I've been able to gather from individuals who are much more educated than I am, uh, would be the eighth day of this festival feast, okay? This festival feast, which would be seven days, but on the eighth day, known as the last day, there used to be a tradition taking place on this last day, and I... And a lot, many faithful scholars in the Brotherhood would have more ease explaining this and do it more justice than I can ever wish to uh, share. But from my understanding in reading the books, in reading the history, and the culture, and the people, and the tradition of the days, and uh, what was happening here, on the eighth day, typically for a great length of time, many, many years, they would, as Jews, take a gold cup, pour water in this cup, And pour the water out at the temple. And this was a tradition of sorts for fellowship and and, and nourishment and to thank God for the water because the water poured out symbolized the water, the rain coming down on on the farmer's fields and creating the harvest and the nourishment that kept them alive. And so it was a moment of great joy and unity and fellowship. And so they had a tradition on the eighth day that they would have water in a gold pot that would be poured out at the temple, symbolizing God's reign upon the fields and a uh, a thanksgiving of sorts with this feast that they greatly respected and participated in each year. But since the Sanhedrin... The religious leader, leaders had since removed that tradition from the people, and the people were heartbroken about that because they they enjoyed that. The equivalents of today in the Western world, you know, our holidays. Let's say the most uh, prevalent holiday we have in the Western world here over in Canada certainly is Christmas time. Well, let's say Christmas time is plucked out of our ability to practice and enjoy from our government. Government says from now on, Christmas is no longer a tradition, it's no longer a holiday, you are no longer allowed to practice that. Okay, so they've been told this on the last day, the eighth day, and it's been happening, and the people are, of course, discouraged about that, because they sought that tradition a great deal, and for the purpose of joy, and it was removed from them, this water poured out. And I'm, I'm, I'm drilling that in, and again, I'm, I'm I'm certain that I'm not getting all the right details in a very accurate way as someone who is well-versed, scholarly so, in in, in this uh, very thing. But to that end, the purpose is still functioning, and you, you'll get what's happening if you're paying attention to what Jesus is about to say. Now on the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out. So he was speaking to his inner entourage and those who were paying attention to him, but now it's time to stand up. And they would do that in custom. When you stand up and you speak loudly, it's time for everyone to pay attention to what you are about to say. And they would. And he was saying this in a very loud voice. If anyone. Anyone? You mean like anyone? The the Jews and the Gentiles? No, that can't be right. If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. We'll let that soak in for a little bit. Do you get it? Oh, come on, man. Don't miss this. He says to them, The water you are seeking, that you have been missing, that was poured out in tradition from a golden cup upon the temple, reminding us of the rains that would nourish the fields and the farmer's joy. If you want water, I am the living water. If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. That's just powerful to me. And then he says, he who believes in me, as the scripture said. Oh, we have all kinds of people believing in Jesus today, don't we? Oh, I believe in Jesus. Yeah, everybody else, everybody, everybody's a Christian today, Right. Oh, I believe in Jesus. But is it according to the scriptures, though? I assure you, from what I have been able to witness and see in my 11, 12 years now, faithfully following Jesus, the majority of those who call themselves Christians have called themselves Christians on their own, by their own will. Because they believe in a Jesus they've created in their own image. It's not the Jesus of the scriptures of the Bible at all. And that's very deceiving, isn't it? Very confusing. And we know God is not a God of confusion. He who believes in me, as the scripture said, from his innermost being will flow rivers of living water whether it come from the individual himself who is receiving the word of Christ, believing the word of Christ, and acting upon the word of Christ, or if it is directly from Christ in his word, both to the same end. Rivers of living water. Never to thirst again. Never to thirst again. Content, satisfied, Saved, forgiven, a location of peace and unity, love, compassion, benevolence, faith. Oh, these things are so wonderful. If they would have just paid attention to him. But this he spoke, of course, of the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. For the Spirit was not yet given. Because Jesus was not yet glorified. What has he been talking about? His death, burial, resurrection, witness, and ascension. The gospel fulfillment. He's about to die in about 30 or 60 days, I forget, from this chapter. And the spirit in whom he is speaking, the spirit, he, the spirit, was going to pour out his power upon the 12 chosen vessels, the apostles. And he spoke this coming promise this comforter to them in John in the coming chapters. And we'll be looking at that when the time is right, chapter 14, 15, 16, 17. And of course, these 12 chosen apostles who would be the recipient of the outpouring power of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost, recorded in Acts chapter 1 and chapter 2, would stand up among the people and proclaim the death, burial, resurrection, witness, and ascension of the Christ, they were speaking the words of the Holy Spirit governed by the outpouring power of the Holy Spirit. And so all who would pay attention to the words of the Holy Spirit and receive the words of the Holy Spirit, well, they would, what the Bible says, obey the new birth, born again, out of water and the Spirit. Uh Aha. When you listen to the words of the Holy Spirit, and you trust the words of the Holy Spirit, you believe the words of the Holy Spirit, and you do what the words of the Holy Spirit have instructed you to do, then you become the recipient of his grace, his love, his mercy, his forgiveness, salvation, added to the church he built, a legal citizen of his kingdom, beautiful stuff, wonderful stuff. So, in this here district of scriptural insight, we find ourselves, verse 32 to 39, learning together, aren't we? And how powerful it is, learning from the Bible. If only they would have sought to love him and follow him. No, they sought to seize him. They were murmuring and grumbling, whispering, complaining, gossiping, causing factions against him, slandering him, persecuting him, speaking all manners of evil against him. Oh man, if they would have just paid attention to the words of life he was speaking, he was God on earth. Their hearts were hardened. I wonder where our hearts are this day. Where are we today? What do these words mean to you and I? What did they mean to them? It all leads to the new birth. Jesus keeps talking to them about his death, burial, and resurrection and how they could participate with his death, burial, and resurrection if they would only submit themselves to God in the burial, the clothing, the immersion, submerged, plunged, dipped, baptizo, calling on his name. Therein is the power. Oh, man. If only they would have kept his word and believed him. All right, well, that'll conclude our Sermon Sunday session with that portion of scripture. Lord willing, next week we'll be looking at verses 40 all the way through 52. If you have, of course, any comments or questions, by all means, you can reach out to us privately. If you'd like to get with us and have studies, we are available. You can reach us over at eastcoastchurchofchrist.com or addedsouls.com. Uh, you can find us pretty much anywhere. You know, reach out to us if you're on the East Coast. If you're on the East Coast in New Brunswick, Canada, by all means, we'd like to sit down with you and study this stuff. It's It's quite powerful, but we have to separate ourselves from the doctrines of denominationalism. We have to be willing to separate ourselves from the Sanhedrin, if you will. That's what Jesus was teaching him. I know it's a difficult concept to accept, but it is true. Jesus was speaking to religious people who were firmly convinced they belonged to God and were saved. They weren't. They were not. And we'd be wise to go to the Bible We don't need any gatekeepers or key holders today. We just need Jesus. And uh, we'd be wise to pay attention to that. Stefan Maez, my name. Stay focused and stay positive. Dear friends, Lord willing, tomorrow we will have ourselves another session. You can check out the show notes to see each day and theme. Please subscribe. Please, if it's possible, willing and able, sign up to addedsouls.locals.com where you can support the work monthly and you will have access to a growing uh, exclusive content. Is that okay? Peace out.